Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what is making news this week. Supercast TV boss Nathan Prendergast has announced he will depart the role midway through this season. Uh, Nathan has spent 18 years working for Supercars and has been the general manager of television and content since 2017. Darwin will be his final round. We will have a Perth Super Night this year, which is great news for me personally. Um, Tickets are now on sale for the event, and interestingly, there is no mention of the capacity limits that are currently in place in WA. So that suggests that the state government expects sporting events to be at full capacity by the end of next month when the event is. There's plenty of Gen 3 news around, with Marcus Ambrose and Garth Tander set to drive the revised prototypes for the first time at Simmons Plains. In a couple of weeks, passengers will get their first rides in the cars as well. As for proper testing, it appears there's a plan to run the cars at Phillip Island in the week following the Australian Grand Prix. And just to circle back to Marcus Ambrose, he will also be part of the commentary lineup for the Simmons Supercars round. Uh, Brad Jones Racing has signed Dale Wood and Jordan Boys for its Bathurst 1000 lineup. Wood will partner Andre Heimgartner in the number eight. That's the same car he shared with Nick Perkett last year, while Jordan Boys will team up with Macaulay Jones. Boys crashed out of the 1000 when driving for BJR in 2020 and missed out on a seat last year. Fabian Coulthard will return to the Stan Sport Honda for the second round of the TCR Australia season at Phillip Island this weekend. Uh, Shay Davies, meanwhile, will be on the S5000 grid for the first time. Uh, the brand new Eastern Creek Speedway has finally opened after a couple of stalled attempts due to COVID and weather and things like that, with Jamie Veal winning the very first sprint car feature there. And Phil Lamatima took an emotional home win as the Australian Top Field Championship raced on the 8th mile Sunset Strip in Mildura for the very first time. Now, joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that I firmly believe should be sitting in McLaren's pool of reserve drivers, budgie smugglers on, pool noodle in hand, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you? There's a uh, there's a lot of drivers in that pool. I'm not sure if they've all got noodle in hand, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's quite uh, full already. Anyway, let's just try to park that. I'm, uh, I'm excited this week, F1 race week, first round of AFL, and an SA election that's going to have a pretty big bearing on supercars. It's uh, it's all happening. There is a lot happening. It's kind of – I do sort of miss that that match. I know it was kind of a bit of a, a scheduling drama, to be honest, but there was something really cool about AFL – opening AFL weekend and the Australian Grand Prix being on, on the same weekend. I don't know. I used to enjoy it as much as it wasn't exactly, you know, fantastic for ticket sales and stuff. So it's a bit weird that it's kind of all not happened together, but – 
There is definitely a fair bit going on. We've got a bit to crunch through. Um, I reckon we should kick off with a bit of this uh, Gen 3 stuff that's going on. Now, there was a fair bit of sort of pessimism around Gen 3 as a whole in the paddock in Sydney, off the record uh, at the very least. Um, probably some of that's a bit of a you know hangover of pessimism from last year and the way the rollout sort of bumbled along in and, and, and not the most efficient manner. But, you know, there was talk there's no way they'll be ready for Tassie and all this sort of stuff. But... Anyway, you know, after what we understand are pretty significant changes to the chassis, the cars will be uh, back in action this week, actually, for a shakedown at Queensland Raceway before uh, heading to Simmons Plains for some demo runs and and passenger rides and that sort of stuff. Um, I guess, you know, putting Garth Tander in that Camaro, Stefan, that'll be a pretty good test of the new seating position for tall drivers. Yeah, he's got a couple of centimetres on Shane, so... uh that's uh, hard to find a driver that's taller than Shane these days. Yeah. But um, hopefully they've, uh, you know, their competition passenger rides, like there's an NBA player doing some holidaying in Launceston and happens to, <laughs> to win a ride in the passenger seat so they can really test it out. But, um, yeah, like, like you said off the top, I mean, they've made some big changes to those cars. So um, hopefully if they've got all those ergonomics issues sorted and obviously we've been through all of that stuff with the paddle shift which is now resolved in favor of the stick shift which uh, most people wanted to see then we can get all that um, all that negativity out of the way and they can uh, go about validating the components they need to doing the mileage that they need to and uh, signing things off so that the team can start building cars it's not entirely clear sort of where the testing program goes from here, but there is definitely what, what does seem to be a firm part of the plan is to head to Phillip Island after the AGP. Um, that'll, be, that'll be pretty fascinating, actually, to see how the new aero package works on a very aero-dependent circuit. And just thinking about aero and testing at Phillip Island just really reminded me of um, the preseason test in 2019 when Scott McLaughlin kept going heaps quicker than everyone um, but would always just, you know, make – you know, air quotes, a little mistake somewhere in the lap with a bit of the old uh, spare transponder trick hidden somewhere else just to, so we didn't quite get an idea of just how quick that uh, that weapon was. Anyway, Stefan, surely it's time, you know, that, that, that Supercars gets these cars onto a track that's not Queensland Raceway for a proper workout. Yeah, I'm sure they'll learn a fair bit uh, going to Phillip Island, like you say, a uh, fair few different demands on the car than, than Queensland Raceway and I think they might stay on it at Simmons Plains as well and do some proper yeah. proper testing after those uh, basically demos that they do on the race weekend. So if they can do that. Which is a totally different track again. Yeah, exactly. Like super hard on brakes. Um, that'll uh, put that through its through its paces and um, thinking of Phillip Island, like it would be really interesting to see what lap times they end up doing there they ended up going pretty quick out at qr they were right on the gen 2 quality pace so um a lot less downforce on these gen 3 cars so we'll see how that knocks the lap time around at a place like philip island just to just to circle back to one thing very quickly um having garth you know garth is obviously still an active driver of sorts you know having him in the car for those simmons runs having marcus in the car for those runs is there any danger that maybe they won't learn as much as they could if they were putting current drivers into those cars for those demo runs, or are you comfortable with what they're sort of doing there? Oh, if if it's as I understand it, they'll be having passengers for most of those anyway. Yeah, I don't know whether they'll they'll learn too much. Like it's it's really cool to have Marcus involved um, from a publicity point of view and. Obviously, he's got a lot of experience in, in various racing cars, so I'm sure a little bit of his feedback will be uh, 
will be wanted. But if they do stay on for a couple of days of actual testing, I'm sure they would use the uh, yeah. current drivers to, to do all that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, as well as driving that Gen 3 car in Tassie, Marcus will be back behind the mic doing his TV stuff. I remember you writing a great piece about his TV debut at the same event last year and about how you know well he actually does in that role. Are you excited to have him back? Is he a good voice to have back in the mix for the TV lineup? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, he was a real breath of fresh air, I thought, on the, the broadcast last year when he first appeared at Simmons Plains. Uh, very insightful, a lot of energy as well. I thought his enthusiasm for it all was was infectious and that was firstly great to see that he um, was sort of back in love with motorsport after being largely away from it um, since his uh, aborted comeback as a driver, but he's uh, had some time away and now is involved in various aspects of the sport again. So, yeah, to see him back in the supercars paddock and be able to add a lot to the broadcast, um, I thought that was a pretty fair effort considering the amount of quality people they've already got on that uh, on that broadcast team. Um, that said, I mean, Garth Tander's been great, hasn't he, as well? Oh, for sure. He certainly, uh, he certainly added some. Um, and to be honest, I think mixing it up a little bit round to round is a good thing. Having Marcus come in just for a couple, not to do a full season, yeah. But just to have some different voices in there was what I part of what I enjoyed about it. Well, if you think about you know when you watch your footy coverage, obviously it's a different broadcast sphere because you might have you know you got different matches taking place in different places on the same weekend. But there is variety to kind of you know as you sit there and and watch the coverage across the weekend. So, yeah, I take what you mean. Hey, speaking of comebacks, Fabs is back in uh, in TCR this weekend. How do you reckon he's going to go? Last time he'd never driven a front-wheel drive car, lot to learn. It's always a bit tricky with TCR to know where the cars are at anyway in terms of BOP and stuff. How do you reckon he's going to go uh, second time out? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that he is doing it again. I didn't know if he would be because he had a bit of a – didn't look like a fun experience down there in Tassie running where he was. And I don't know, maybe he forgot to cancel his free stand trial and he's now locked in for the season. <laughs> but uh, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Oh, yeah. No, I forgot to cancel mine and all I got was the $30 taken out of my account. I didn't get a, um, I didn't get a TCR drive. But um, I hope he doesn't get busted like sharing that sub with a friend or something like that. You know, I think you only get four users. <laughs> only four users can access that TCR car, so they better uh, they better pick their uh, their choices wisely across the season. Um, I do want to grab your thoughts on BJR's enduro signings. Uh, Dale Wood, I guess, was is an obvious choice um, to come back to the team. Very experienced co-driver, uh, quick, reasonably safe pair of hands. Uh, interesting to see Jordan Boys back after a year out of a Bathurst seat. It can be kind of tough to. Um, to come back into the fold sometimes, uh, and without a, a full Super Two program this year, what's your uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's it is good to see him back. Obviously, he's got a good relationship with Brad Jones Racing. Being an Aubrey boy, he's uh, the the boys and the Jones families have known each other for a while. Um, and I think when you look at Jordan's career, it's been an interesting one where he he'd done four seasons of Super Two with uh, Image Racing, and um, did. So that they sort of faced the decision of whether they went again or uh, tried to do it a bit of a different way. And I believe we'll see um, Jordan do two main game wildcards yep. in the lead up to Bathurst. Um, and that will be with Image Racing, uh, but also he's part of the Erebus Academy. So mm-hmm. that all 
all ties in together. Um, and if that happens, I mean, the mileage you'd get out of two main game race weekends is probably about four Super 2 rounds. So um, really for his career, he needed to be on the Bathurst grid this year. As you say, he yeah. missed out last year, which um, didn't help. And he's he's been working closely with the Image Super 2 guys that are running this year, the two Jays. Jay Rebotham and uh, Jay Hansen. Yep. Um, so he's you know doing a couple of laps in those cars at test days and did the right day with BJR after SMP. So I think he's he's going to be pretty good for miles and um, yeah I hope hope he goes well because he's a good hardworking young guy that uh, you like to see people like this given a chance. All right, well, it's a big, big week in South Australia. South Aussies will head to the polls to vote on the future of the Adelaide 500 and, less importantly, the immediate direction of their state and everything about it. Now, to celebrate, I felt like we needed not one but two South Aussies on the pod this week. So I grabbed Nick Perkett for a chat about his return to Walkinshaw and Ready United and his work with the Save the Adelaide 500 campaign. I started out by asking him how... A week or so on, he's reflecting on what was a bit of a roller coaster Sydney Super Night with his new team. Yeah, it was. Um, it was yeah, it's hard. It's hard because obviously not everyone sees all the data and all the information that we see. So from my side, you know, the result wasn't what we wanted at all um, come Sunday. But yeah, there's points in qualifying sessions and practice sessions where. You know, it was kind of like if you zigged and, or zagged, you know, the lap was going to come off. And, you know, there was points where there was laps I was going to do that were going to be quite fast. And then, you know, you pick your wrong line. And it, it just felt like that a little bit on the weekend. That um, each way I zigged, I probably should have zagged. So that's, you know, it wasn't the worst thing. And, you know, to come away P6 on Saturday and then think to yourself, oh, okay, well, that's probably like, that was last year. That was probably would have been tenth. So, yeah. Um, you know, from my side, it was all really positive and um, great to be back working with the team. It's a, you know the environment's so different now. It's um, it feels all new. So the best thing from my side is you know I jumped in the car. And it, it felt a lot different to what I'm used to and has um, different strengths and weaknesses, which gives you know opens the your world up a little bit to try and shape those where you want them and I felt like I was pretty maxed out with what I with where I was at um, the last few years So you feel like there are some strengths that you have to exploit now with this new package compared to what you did have at Brad Jones Racing? Yeah I think I definitely think so and I think Chaz um, is in a sweet spot with the car right? you know how I was with BJR I just knew exactly yeah. what that car was doing and what tiny things to tune to get the most out of it so um, that was another very cool thing for me. It's the first time in my career that, you know, you, know, you come in and hold on, your teammate's actually on the podium or won the race. It was, um, it was actually quite an enjoyable experience to see the potential of the package. Um, and, yeah, it does have – it had, definitely has weaknesses, there's no doubt there. Um, but, you know, there, there's a few spots in the car that are, are quite strong, which, you know, makes me pretty excited to see where we can take it. I wanted to ask about um, working with Chaz. This is the first time in your career you would have worked directly with him, right? Yep, hundred percent. What's it? Uh, how has it been? The rumor, the rumor has it you blokes are uh, getting on pretty well. Good mates. Yeah, I think um, whoever was disappointment um, <laughs> have a lot in common. Um, so it's actually been 
you know, off-track stuff's been really, really fun. Um, I've, I'm learning a lot from him and Adam already. Um, and, you know, they've just been such an open book and um, so welcoming. It's been quite nice to, you know, go into the team and, and have that straight away. But then <laughs> I think Bruce and Ryan and everyone are like, what the hell, these two are inseparable. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it is pretty good. It's you know, very early days, but it's the best relationship I've had on and off the track with a teammate ever. Um, you know, I pick up the phone and send a message or vice versa. I always ring him just to you know, see what he's up to, nothing to motorsport. So it's, um, it's actually pretty cool. So, um, you know, all the chat or people I had telling me things about him or he probably had the same thing going his way, it all got to the end of it and I went, wow, this guy's actually very similar to me and just wants to go racing and, and win races and have some fun doing it. So it's been pretty cool. Do you feel like the walls might go up a little bit once you get your head around the car and you get used to working with a new engineer and you start really running at the front? Or do you think you guys are both at points in your career where, you know, you've got the maturity to, to work together for the greater good, even if it means, you know, trading some paint or swapping positions here and there? Yeah, obviously the, the moment – it becomes more competitive. Um, it'll be interesting. Um, I actually don't know what will happen there. You know, we we're already <laughs> seeing each other's data and stuff like that. And, you know, even from his side going home on Friday afternoon or Friday night, you know, he had the few overlays up and he's like, all right, this is, you know, it's good. Um, you know, we can combine our two laps for bloody fast. So, you know, I think he was actually able to do that. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was pretty refreshing. So yeah, we'll see what happens when it, gets to it even on sunday hit smp i was behind him on that safety car restart and a few spots i probably could have passed him but it was like no nah, we'll just work together and pick our way through this traffic but unfortunately i got tripped up in it but um yeah i think um i guess if we're both battling for the win or something like that it could uh, could change a little bit but um yeah it'll be interesting First round is always a pretty sketchy form guide at the best of times, especially when it's at Sydney Motorsport Park and even more so when you throw some weather into the mix. But is there a sense at the team that this really could be a title contending year for you guys? I think that, you know, I say it not, you know, not overconfident or anything like that, but, you know, I said to Bruce and a few of the guys around the team after the test day, I said, look, you might not see it as much, but I've not worked in a team where two people, so Chaz and Adam, are so in sync and know the formula of what they want to do and all that type of thing. They're dragging the team up. Um, so it's, for me, the timing of joining is amazing and hopefully you know, myself and Jeff can do the same thing. And I think I'd like to think they're heading towards a bit of a good run. Um and you know, I think the the ingredients is there. If we if we can execute it this year, um, that's a different question. Obviously, Triple Eight and DJR are year in year out, winning races, trying to win championships. So that'll be the next thing for the for WAU to understand and piece together is uh, how to put the whole championship together. Um, but I think the way Chaz is driving and his relationship with Adam right now, I think they're in a pretty strong position to give it a crack. And hopefully, I'm not you know too far behind in. Uh, myself and Jeff getting our relationship up to speed and, you know, um, bringing it to the fight as well. So I, I honestly think the ingredients are there. There's a feeling in the team that I've not experienced before, so it's pretty cool. 
you know, where, where you've come from, you know, Brad Jones Racing is a, you know, professional race team, been around for a long time. You won races there. It was possible. You just needed things to kind of go your way, I guess, to pop up with a win in a BJR car. Do you feel like you're getting yourself into a position where you will have, you'll be able to challenge for wins this season? Yeah, I think so. You know, again, don't want to speak too soon or it's only had one race, but, you know, even on the weekend, obviously had contact with Scotty Pye and, you know, with no fault of his or mine, it just broke my steering. Um, just awkward contact when it interlocks the rim. But I, I wasn't a nick that I think people would have expected, like angry or pissed off. I was like, you know what? The car is a bit of a jet. These days are going to be, hopefully, more often than not, um, where I yeah. used to feel like if something didn't go our way at the BJR, but it was a track where we traditionally went well or it felt like that was our day to get it done. Um, you know, I'd be pissed because it was, <laughs> they weren't coming along as often. Um, so yeah, it was a, even when I got out, it was like, ah, that is frustrating and annoying and a big bag of points for myself and the team gone. But it does feel like there's going to be more days that you will be able to try and fight for a trophy than probably what I've been used to. But again, nothing against what was happening with Brad, but I felt like, Probably they needed a shake-up. It's probably great for them to have Andre and Bryce there and, you know, and different engineers again. So they're probably looking at it the same way. But it is, uh, it is, I guess, it's just a new outlook on it. So it's um, pretty good. Now, it's a big week in Adelaide, your hometown. Election time is here in South Oz. The polls will decide if the Adelaide 500 is coming back or not. Now, you've been quite active on the campaign trail for the Adelaide 500 <laughs> cause recently. Um, what, what's, what's been the feeling on the ground in, in Adelaide? Are we going to get this race back? Um, there's a lot of excitement and big, big plans if it does come off. Um, that's one thing I'm excited about. You know, if, if it does go in a way where, you know, Peter and the Labor side can bring the race back, they're going to do it properly and back to the, the Adelaide 500 that we all knew and loved, not the the version that, I guess, um, SA Tourism had the last couple of years at the end there. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's all about the entertainment and the family side of things and big performances and, and making it a big week event uh, in Adelaide. So from that side of things, it's crazy exciting for the state if it does happen. But I think from what I'm hearing, it's like going to be very, very close. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure which way it's actually looking. I haven't checked or kind of done any research to see how he's trucking along. Um, but it sounds like it's going to be extremely close. So it'll just be, I don't really care, you know, who's running the state as long as the race is back. <laughs> just just, um, want, just want the race. And do it properly without the, I guess, the people that were involved in the last 18 months, two years. Um, yeah, when it was Nathan and his team um, running the Adelaide 500, it was an amazing event. So I think that's all they need to do is make sure they get the right people involved and, and put on a good show again. I mean, the idea of heading to Adelaide at the end of the season, driving for an inform. WAU team that must be pretty tantalizing. It's exciting. Um, even when they weren't informed, they always somehow won a buddy race there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So yeah, that's when they when they weren't that good, they won in Adelaide. Yeah. So um, could go very well for you. Yeah, and home crowd and all, and you know, end of season of championship on the line, and then everything that goes around with that. And I think you know they want to do things around the gala and make that a big thing as well. So I think 
just the whole event will be pretty cool to be involved in. So, um, and obviously get to show off South Australia again, which I think a lot of the businesses there are missing. So, fingers crossed, really. I actually wore my um, Adelaide-sponsored race suit in the go-kart today, that one that I had from BJR. So, a bit of channeling it, you know. <laughs> Good luck, Charm. <laughs> So, Stefan, let's take a look at this whole Adelaide thing. Uh, the betting odds have really come in for Big Pete and the Labor Party, which is good news for uh, for race fans. Could this thing actually be on? Yeah, well, it, it does sound like it's it's had a pretty significant turnaround in the last couple of months, and it would sort of go against the grain of um, incumbent governments being returned in this COVID era Yeah, um, if, if it does happen. But, I mean, who knows, the... Uh, the polling can be uh, can be a bit sideways, so um, shouldn't get too too ahead of ourselves. Yeah, especially but, I mean, when it's coming from a sports betting site. <laughs> uh, yeah, which obviously is not as trustworthy as the media, which can always be uh, taken as uh, as red. But uh, it'd clearly be a massive boost for uh, supercars if uh, Labor gets in there. Um, the Adelaide Five Hundred clearly is is a marquee event that they need back, but also feels like at the moment that um, there's that, that huge question mark about what the finale would be for 2022 if the Adelaide yeah. 500 doesn't make this comeback. It's been yep. been pretty quiet on the Newcastle date front, um, which sort of makes me feel like it might not happen in, in 2022. Um, so, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot riding on this outcome, that's for sure. Yeah, it does kind of feel like that. I guess the, the options become, you know, it not happening or perhaps – Supercars having to suck it up and ha- do basically the double header, you know, final round Newcastle, first round Newcastle 2023. But I think uh, Sydney Motorsport Park, you know, proved fairly clearly that, you know, going back to somewhere where you've just raced as your season opener doesn't do much to give it sort of season opening vibes um, and isn't necessarily too good for the show. So I think that would be less than ideal really here's an interesting bit of chat that's doing the rounds at the moment Stefan. i don't know if you've heard this one or not but there's a theory that even if the libs do hold power the event may not be doomed forever i don't think we'd see it back this year i don't think it would be the season finale this year um but maybe for 2023 and i guess i guess we'll really find out how relevant you know, all this chat is once the polls are closed and the votes are counted, but it's an interesting kind of idea that maybe, 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 maybe it wouldn't be gone forever. Yeah. So we'll wait that's, and see. Um, that's certainly something that hasn't been talked about too much. It's all publicly been very black and white, that it's um, all red and blue. It's uh, If it's Labor, it's in. If it's Liberal, it's out. Um, you know, but it, it just comes back to the fact that it should never have uh, never have gone in the first place. Um, even if supercars has to revive it by investing its own money and promoting it itself, which means taking the risk on the gate and, and all of that stuff, then surely um, they've got to find a way of making it happen. It just shouldn't. That 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 sort of proposition should have been on the on the table before it was killed off. Um, and I'm not sure whether supercars was asleep at the wheel on that or whether they really copped a political hatchet job on on killing it but um maybe a bit of both there but uh yeah we'll uh, we'll see how the next week plays out before we uh think about what could happen if the liberals stay in it did certainly seem like they were blindsided by the whole thing supercars for whatever reason 
All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Chase Briscoe held off Ross Chaston in a three-lap shootout to take a career-first NASCAR Cup race win at Phoenix Raceway. Alpine has made its reserve driver Oscar Piastri available to McLaren if it needs a stand-in race driver at any point this season. Uh, so he joins Stoffel Van Dorn and Nick DeFries in the on the McLaren standby list. And this news came out not long after it was revealed that Daniel Ricciardo uh, has COVID-19 at the moment and is in a tiny bit of doubt to be on the grid for the season opening Bahrain GP this weekend. Um, now, I'm not really sure what the biggest international news this week is, whether it's the fact that the Formula One season starts this weekend or the fact that Drive to Survive Season 4 dropped late last week Stefan, have you been enjoying a bit of uh, DTS action? What are, what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, I must admit that I've been more uh, more excited about the drive to survive than uh, the preseason testing, which is always <laughs> a bit of a uh, a bit of smoke and mirrors involved there. It's hard to know what to read out of that. But uh, that said, there's plenty of smoke and mirrors in how they present this drive to survive, <laughs> isn't there? <laughs> I, I find it really like, um, I guess, unmissable viewing. But you've got to. Um, sort of run it with the lens that there's plenty of creative license that is obvious to I think the likes of us and and a lot of people who would listen to this podcast that are that are proper fans that'll see uh, anomalies in how they present it at all but um, overall like it's, it's still a cool um, insight into the sport I thought I th- I'm five seasons into this one so I haven't seen it all but early on there's just so much um, Toto Wolf and Christian Horner like chess beating like they're, they're trying to build this storyline oh, yeah. of the season for like I would gather for the fringe fans but it's not really giving us a lot of sort of new information or, or insight it's just kind of yeah a bit of, bit of strutting around from a couple of uh, big dogs um, but then like I've seen the Mazepin Haas episode and stuff like that is what I think it does best where it sort of brings you closer to some characters that you don't really see a lot of um, in the in the normal week to week and I think there's a Yuki Sonoda episode coming up too that I'm quite looking forward to um, where, where are you up to in the whole thing? Uh, I think I'm sort of on episode four or so. I've been through the McLaren episode, um, all that sort of stuff. So I tell you what, you talk about smoke and mirrors. I think most of the smoke is just coming off the poor toaster in the Mercedes uh, hospitality as they're trying to get Toto Wolff's pumpernickel <laughs> just right. Um, he seems pretty sad. Es muss, es muss ganz stark getoastet sein. Es muss wie Keks brechen. Um, he uh, he is he's a fussy man when it comes to his uh, to his hard breads. There seems to be like. Um, Swearing is definitely uh, definitely a theme. There's a lot of swearing. Um, and just that whole documentary style of like behind the scenes, not of the sport, but like of the documentary, like that whole sort of scene when they're going through the cars sitting on the grid at the first event and it's like it's a documentary about the documentary <laughs> almost. That's like taking that, that kind of like, mm. you know, they kind of pioneered that to a large extent and we've seen nearly every sort of, you know, I don't want to say rip-off, but rip-off documentary since um, has tried to take that, you know, that style where, you know, the subject walks up to the camera, sits down, has a bit of banter with the producer about, you know, what are we doing here? How do I go about this? But they're just like, they've, they've turned that dial up to um, up to 11. It's uh, it's pretty full on. But it's just, it's good viewing. And it's, for all the naysayers and all of this, it's also fake. Well, yeah, it's, all TV's fake. That's, that's what it is. It's made to... Like it's 
it's so good for the sport and it's done. So you can't deny the benefit of it. And the fact that if, if anything, the only issue is that it actually completely overshadows actual real Formula One cars driving <laughs> around the circuit um, because it sort of becomes the, the big talking point. You mentioned all the swearing in it, which is something that really shocked me in the first season. Um, it just it always feels to me like that is a cheap way of trying to make it seem authentic. That like oh this must be real and like uncensored because there's there's swearing that you wouldn't get on a sort of normal broadcast. So that's uh, but they they really go hard on that, which I'm surprised with considering that it's trying to bring in new and younger fans and, and all that sort of thing. But another thing that surprises me is the fact that, um, so there's no Max Verstappen in this season. He didn't want to be on it because he thinks they faked the rivalries too hard. For something that's such a powerful commercial platform, does it surprise you that he does have the power to say no when Red Bull and all of these commercial partners get value out of it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I always I hate it when guys like, oh, they're making too much. And, you know, as people in the media, we've we've copped this criticism over and over again, Stefan. Oh, you're making too much of this. No. We're not making too much of it. We're just trying to present the fact that there's a rivalry and that's exactly what sports need. Now clearly Max and Lewis don't like each other. I don't know how he thinks they're going to actually over dramatize that rivalry because it's pretty dramatic. Already, And it was the same thing if you think back to 2019 with Scotty Mack and David Reynolds. They always tried to play it down, but it was a hardcore rivalry. Why is everyone trying to play this down? What's going on? This is good for the sport. So I think it's an odd stance from Max in the first place that he does kind of go, well, no, no, they're just trying to make it look like we don't like each other and we're like competing really hard to win a world championship. Yeah, so like that, that's that's a good thing. Um, and B, then obviously by not taking – not taking part and not having the opportunity to actually say what you want to say, you make it, you give them even more creative license to start cutting little bits out of here and there and trying to piece together your side of the story from from what's available. That sets an almost even more dangerous and potentially dramatic sort of precedent. But to come back to your point, yeah, it's weird that the, the team is so actively involved, you know, Christian Horner obviously takes mm. his role on Drive to Survive very seriously. It's weird that they don't sit down and go, right, we've just signed you up to this new 50 million euro a year deal. What we need is for you to go in there and talk to these blokes every now and then and tell them what's going on because this is an important part of our commercial picture and it's ultimately going to help us give you all those millions of euros every year. So maybe you can help us out a little bit. Yeah, and when you're talking about the the rivalry stuff, I guess one of the awkward ones is is the teammate um, rivalries, and they copped plenty of criticism uh, Netflix for going hard on the Lando versus Carlos stuff at McLaren mm. when all the sort of McLaren content that comes out on digital and uh, a bit in the broadcast and stuff they were so chummy and so matey, um, so maybe yeah. like they they turn it up slightly too high, but. Like you were saying, but even more so with teammates, at the end of the day, like, it's absolutely undeniable that Lando is, like, totally motivated by beating his teammate. Like, that's the, that's the scoreboard yeah. in F1. So, it's the same then with this series goes pretty big on Lando versus uh, Daniel Ricciardo. And it's like, yeah, th- these blokes do absolutely anything they can to beat their teammate. So, when, when it's then accused yeah. of, um, yeah, beating it up, it's uh, it feels like that's uh, a bit of a cop out. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Let's get on to some actual Formula One now. Um, the new season is upon us, and porpoising is still the buzzword of preseason testing. Now, the F1 experts seem to have Red Bull and Ferrari as coming out of testing best place, while Mercedes is definitely struggling. Um, although I was watching some Drive to Survive, as we've just talked about, uh, when I was going through some uh, testing analysis, and it does seem very reminiscent of last year, and the Merck ended up being, um, you know, really not that bad. There are some differences this year, I think, but, you know, the post-testing antics in the press have certainly started. Lewis Hamilton is adamant that wins aren't on the table for Mercedes in the short term. Max Verstappen has already called BS on that one. What do you reckon, Stefan? Do you buy the uh, the Mercedes is no good hype? It's um, it's probably the most uh, the biggest unknown heading to the first round, isn't it? Like um, they've suffered from this porpoising issue, seemingly worse than than anyone. But that kind of yeah. suggests that they could genuinely unlock a big chunk overnight and be right there. So. You know, yeah, because it's coming from downforce. Like they're making so much downforce that it's creating this porpoising issue. So if you fix one and you can keep the downforce, yeah. you're probably going to go pretty fast. Yeah, and so like you can do all the the pace analysis that you want um, as a as an outsider. But if they're running the thing outside of the ideal setup window, just to try to get it around the porpoising with your downforce levels and your ride heights and things like that, um, if they can get their heads around that, then maybe. It'll, uh, it'll either come good overnight or after a couple of races. But, um, yeah, I, I think that porpoising stuff's been the most interesting part of the testing. I mean, in this in this era with wind tunnels and computer sims and all of the technology, um, they've sort of uh, been caught out by this 1970s phenomenon that's all of a sudden come back with a vengeance. Yeah, it is an odd one. Um, and, yeah, like you say, with it, it's certainly affecting Mercedes. With that new... That, that new um uh, side pod package, uh, and like I say, if they have to cut down force through setup in the first few races, it's going to be hard. But you sort of feel like they might be playing a long game and going, well, if we can make this work, this thing's going to go really quick. Let's go on to McLaren. It's hard to sort of tell where they sit, given they had those brake cooling issues in Bahrain. Um, on, on pace, it seems that they're not that far off the lead bunch, but you know they had those issues. They also had the issue of Daniel Ricciardo not being able to run, and and Lando having to do all the running, and that sort of hurt mileage and all. That sort of stuff. While I was watching a bit of uh, DTS, it did sort of reinforce how important this season is for Daniel Ricciardo because he got that win last year. He got the headline result. But Lando really is the golden boy at McLaren. He's got the long contract. You know, team leader status is like right there up for grabs for him if Daniel doesn't come out firing early and try and stop him from grabbing it. And um, that could obviously be complicated by this COVID thing or, or, or whatever. But... I mean, it's a it's a big season for Daniel to, I think, really match Lando. What do you reckon? Yeah, the pressure's on, and it's a uh, very unfortunate start that he's done the minimal testing uh, because of his COVID-19 uh, infection and obviously a disaster if he can't be ready for the first race. But um, either way, no matter uh, exactly the short term what happens with that and, and no matter where McLaren is in the pecking order, he absolutely is going to have his hands full dealing with Lando through the year. Hopefully they can get these brake dramas sorted that they've suffered from with that car through the testing and because um, it's seemingly been okay. It's been quite quick when it's been running. But, um, yeah. yeah, again, it's a big question mark as to how competitive they're going to be. Yeah, I think they feel they've got the third or fourth best car on the grid, you know, if they can get around these issues. Anyway, give us your tip. Who is your 2022 world champion? 
I'm going to go with Max Verstappen. There's been a lot of hype about Ferrari, but um, yeah, obviously Max got it done last year, and I think uh, he and Red Bull are going to kick on with it this season. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to have something controversial to say, but I think they've just got. To, they're going to have the momentum, and I think that there is definitely scope for there to be a slow start to the season for Mercedes. And you would think that. That you know, obviously, we saw a bit of a roller coaster at the start of last season, where Mercedes sort of got on top early, even though they didn't quite have the car speed. Then Max sort of had the opportunity to get away, and then Silverstone happened, and it all closed back up. You would think that there'll be there'll be moments of reflection on last season where you know Red Bull and Max will go, "We really that that really shouldn't have been as hard as it was. It really should not. We had that we had the car advantage at the right part of the season to just pull away and be gone, and we didn't use it. So let's make sure." that we use it this year. So I think Max is going to go back to back as well. Okay, let's take a look in the Castrol mailbag for this week. Uh, I've got a question here from Ben Luscombe who asks what we think is the best livery of all time. A top three is allowed. Now we've gone and assumed that this is just any livery on any racing or rally or whatever car ever. Uh, Stefan, you want to first crack at this one? Yeah, you, you sent this to me last night and I was like, oh, beauty, this is an easy one this week. And then I spent way too much time <laughs> thinking about it, which uh, I wish you'd just uh, sent it to me this morning. But anyway, um, I uh, I sort of wanted to go with something quirky, but in the end, I felt uh, this was worth a truly legendary livery. So I'm going with the John Player Special Classic uh Black and gold, those mid-80s Lotus F1 cars with uh, Nigel Mansell and then Ant and Senna driving them were uh, probably the peak for me of those cars. But the the brilliance of it is you could put it on pretty much anything and it looked looked amazing from, you know, 70s F1 cars through to uh, the Erebus ZB Commodore they did for uh, the Retro Round uh, a couple of years ago. So uh, JPS for me, what about you? Well, if I was doing a top three, it would definitely include like the ST-185, ST-205 era Celica World Rally cars from the early 90s. And that's not just, you know, that's not just because of the Castrol link, but they just looked really, really cool. But I see, I, I have gone something quirky. I have this thing, and I'm usually very alone on this, but I have this thing about a couple of old Benetton Formula One cars, and I just love them. And one of them is the 92 spec car with the green and yellow. Um, and the other one, and this this is probably my favourite, is that crazy 86 car with the sort of flat engine cover with pink and yellow and green and blue on it. And I just, I know it's horrendous, but I just love it for whatever crazy reason. It's just my favourite. That's your uh, flamboyance coming out there. That's certainly uh, an eye catcher. <laughs> it couldn't, couldn't be more <laughs> different from my pick, which is which is good. Yeah, the ultimate simplicity, and I've just gone nut. I just they threw colours at it, and they stuck. I don't know how, but they stuck. All right, let's get on to our Castrol Stars of the Week. Who have you got this week, Stefan? This week I'm going to go with Erebus CEO Barry Ryan. So instead of going home after City Motorsport Park, he went up to northern New South Wales to a place called Tumblegum to help out a former Erebus team member, Aaron Kelly. Aaron runs a tavern up that way and uh, was one of many faced with a horrible cleanup job after the recent flooding. So um, 
yeah, Barry went up there to, to help him clean it all out. And um, so I guess I'm making him star of the week. But uh, it's really for everyone who's gone out of their way to, to do something to uh, help those people that have been uh, so affected by the floods. Yeah, we saw Brad Jones Racing involved in getting some uh, feed up for stock into that area as well. So that's um, they are that is a great cause to get behind and um, and good on Barry for doing that and good on uh, BJR for getting involved in that as well. I'm going to go with uh, Jack Perkins as my star of the week this week. Now, a listener named James Wilson sent me a little message over the weekend about how he and his son were at the Phillip Island Classic uh, and Jack welcomed them into into his garage and and let his son sit in in the old V8 supercars they were running at the event. They had a 2003 um, Castrol VY and a 2015 HRT VF um, that Perkins Engineering was running that, that Jack and Larry were cruising around in. Um, apparently this young bloke just, he got to sit in the cars. He loved it. He's he's a motorsport fan for life and um, and for making that happen, Jack is my star of the week. And thanks to James for getting in touch as well. And for any, any, everyone else out there, feel free to reach out uh, over the socials at uh, any time and let us know what's going on. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.